The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. Appreciate you. You have no idea. Um, There is much to discuss. A real quick reminder, uh, the TNT shop is available. Uh, lots of cool stuff, lots of cool swag, merch, whatever you call it. Uh, shirts, hoodies, coasters, water bottles, coffee mugs, even stuff for your pets. I have lots of cats. My cats would never let me put anything on them. But if you have dogs that are cool and we'll let you uh, put some gear on them, uh, that's also an option as well. So uh, definitely go check it out. Holidays right around the corner. Uh, get yourself something. Get something for somebody you love. Uh, I'm all about gifting yourself. <laughs> we all deserve a little gift for ourselves now and then. Um, okay, so a couple quick things before we jump into the show. Uh, first of all, uh, my pal Dave DeCamp over at Antiwar.com uh, has an article up from today, actually. That guy, listen, y'all, the people over at Antiwar.com, I know, I know, I talk about them a lot. I pray them a lot. It's because it's deserved. Um, they're amazing. Dave does incredible work. He writes uh, constantly. I think he does, you know, five articles a day. Sometimes it feels like uh, it's a million articles a day. It's just a constant uh, a barrage of information, which he is fantastic at delivering, uh, both in article form. And then he also hosts uh, Anti-War News, which is a, a podcast. You can find it on all of the stuff, YouTube as well, um, but also on all the podcast apps. But Dave's fantastic. He's been on the show regularly. Please go uh, support um, um, uh, he was just, uh, tweeting about, uh, asking for more subscribers on his YouTube channel. So go support. They do fantastic work. I love them. Um, but he has an article out from today, uh, where it is titled UN relief chief, Le- good God, relief chief. That's hard to say, uh, says Gaza war is worst humanitarian crisis he's ever seen. That is a pretty bold statement. Let's get into it. Martin Griffiths, the UN's emergency relief coordinator, said in an interview on Tuesday that the Israeli onslaught in Gaza is the worst humanitarian crisis he's ever seen, even worse than the killing fields in Cambodia, where the Khmer Rouge uh, killed over one million people from 1975 to 1979. When asked by CNN host Christiane Amanpour how he assesses the humanitarian situation in Gaza based Based on his experience, Griffiths said, quote, the worst ever, Christian, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, I started off in my 20s dealing with the Khmer Rouge, uh, and you remember how bad that was, the killing fields and so forth. But 68% of the people killed in Gaza are women and children. They stopped counting the number of children killed after four and a half thousand had been counted, end quote. Griffiths continued, quote, nobody goes to school in Gaza. Nobody knows what their future is. Hospitals have become places of war, not of curing. Now, I don't think I've seen anything like this before. It's complete and utter carnage, end quote. Amanpour raised the issue of U.S. and Israeli officials questioning the death toll in Gaza, something she said she's never seen before. Quote, why do you think the Israelis, the spokespeople, the government, people who speak on behalf of them are so fixated on the fact that we shouldn't believe these figures this time? I've never seen it before. End quote, Amanpour said. Griffiths said Israel is challenging the figures because they're so horrific. The Israeli campaign has made it impossible for Gaza's health ministry to count the dead. Its most recent update was on November 10th, which put the death toll of over 11,000, including over 
over 4,500 children. More recent estimates put the death toll over 14,000, but the number is not confirmed. The UN has said 1.7 million Palestinians in Gaza have been displaced from their homes, about four in five people in the enclave. Quote, you can understand why Israel would challenge these figures because they're so horrific and they have led to such a global reaction. Gaza is a global crisis, as you know, end quote, Griffith said. Um, and yes, that is why I wanted to bring this up. Uh, it is so bad in Gaza right now uh, for understandable reasons. It is basically a city of rubble at this point. There are untold numbers of human beings under that rubble. It has made it impossible for the Palestinian Health Ministry to continue their counting of um, the confirmed dead. It is also impossible for uh, ambulances to get to the wounded. So many people, listen, this death toll, uh, I know that they said that they really stopped counting. Um, it, and it, you know, some estimates are saying 14,000. It's much higher than that. It is much higher than that. That's my opinion. Come for me or not. I don't care. Uh, it's much higher than 14,000. I think that when you um, indiscriminately bomb the most densely populated area of land in the world, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of casualties. And when you indiscriminately bomb a city that is uh, half of the population is children, it is no surprise that 60% of the dead are women and children. Um, and I think that that is uh, an accurate depiction of why Israel is trying to cover it up, why they are trying to question those numbers. Uh, it looks real bad for them, <laughs> as it should. Um, killing a bunch of women and children is uh, indefensible, period, period, period. It is in defensible. Um, and so that is why they are uh, attempting to skew or uh, question those numbers. Um, however, there's also a video of Christian Amanpour if you want to see a little uh, peek into how out of touch mainstream journalists are. Uh, she was recently interviewing um, uh, the former uh, Israeli prime minister, uh, Ehud Barak, uh, and he told her that Israel, in fact, is the ones that built some of the tunnels under Gaza. And she had no idea. She was completely befuddled by that information. She was clueless as to the fact that uh, a lot of the tunnels that were built under Gaza were built by the Israelis in the 80s. Uh, and so it, that's how out of touch she is. That's the, the the little bubble that she's in. That information doesn't exist because Israel doesn't talk about that. But that's real life. They are the ones that, in fact, built those tunnels Um so if you want to see that, it's definitely an interesting, it's been floating around on social media a lot because everybody was kind of poking fun at her for being completely clueless. So definitely go check that out if you're interested. And please go follow David Camp, uh, check him out, follow antiwar.com, all that good stuff. Um, and also you can follow me over on Twitter at Sarcasm Stardust. You can check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There is a write-up for the guests of the day every day so that you can find, follow, and support their work as well. Hugely important. Um, I talk to cool people. Go check them out. Uh, and also shoot me an email if you would like. It's uh, Misty Winston at TNTradio.live. Uh, guest idea, show idea, you want to rant, whatever it is, hit me up. Uh, I'll try to get back to you. Um, and also, if you miss your favorite TNT radio show or interview, super easy. Listen back whenever you want, wherever you want. You can visit the episodes tab on the TNT radio website. And then we're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. That's a lot of places. Uh, so there's no reason for you to miss out on anything right here on TNT radio. It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, Thanksgiving is tomorrow, my friends. And considering how divisive politics has gotten lately, you might be reconsidering inviting that one metaphorical 
crazy uncle. We all have one. We all have one. Or if you don't have one, maybe you are the crazy uncle. Uh, but you might be reconsidering inviting them to Thanksgiving dinner this year. But don't worry, lots of people probably feel the exact same way. In fact, a national poll found that 61% of Americans hope to avoid discussing politics with their loved ones during this week's Thanksgiving holiday. Only 29% said they look forward to talking about politics. Those 29%, I would like to meet those people. Uh, here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. My friend, are you going to be discussing politics at your Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, yes, actually, because uh, I'll be here <laughs> on TNT Radio reporting news and politics. So I'll be talking Same. turkey all day. Yep. Uh, true story. Uh, also true story. I may uh, I yeah, I'll just I, I may or I may not be the aforementioned crazy uncle uh, at those dinners. But <laughs> it's usually not for me talking about politics. It's usually for me talking about conspiracy theories. But anyway, uh, this this poll this is a Quinny, 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 I never get this word right. Quinnipiac uh, poll, uh, Quinnipiac University. Uh, it was released on November 20th. According to this, only 9% of respondents said that the United States political landscape over the past year has made them feel better about discussing politics during the holiday. Let's just focus on that 9%, Misty. Why don't we meet that? Uh, 30%, this is probably how I feel, uh, said they felt worse. Uh, 59% believed it had not changed their view whatsoever about politics, basically, uh, basically the landscape over the past year. Uh, the Quinnipiac University polling analyst, uh, Tim Malloy said, quote, a healthy dose of zip it will be on the menu as voters acknowledge that if they plan on talking turkey over the big meal, it will be about the food and not about politics. End quote. <laughs> Last year, it's kind of similar. Uh, there was a Thanksgiving poll from an Axos, Axios Ipsos to America's index poll. Uh, they had similar results last year when 77% of Americans said the Thanksgiving holiday was not the time to talk about politics with family or friends. Uh, Cliff Young, Ipsos's president of U.S. Public Affairs, told Axios at the time, quote, arguing about politics may be America's least favorite Thanksgiving activity, but it may actually serve an important function in our body politic, end quote. Uh, a survey by Washington-based Cato Institute back in 2020, or was that just a, a couple weeks ago when we were dealing with uh, slowing the spread? Uh, they, they found that 62% of Americans were afraid to share their political opinions because they might offend others in these uh, lately, uh, this political climate we've been dealing with. The fears are true across the political spectrum as majorities of Democrats, 52%, Republicans, 77%, and Independents, 59%, all said that they had political view views they were reluctant to share. Interesting. Uh, Americans have long shown their widespread dissatisfaction with politicians and the federal government. Speaking of polls, one done by the Pew Research Center in September found that Americans had negative attitudes toward the nation's politics and the deep political division, which I find interesting. When asked how they feel about politics these days, 65% of Americans said they always or frequently felt exhausted when thinking about politics, and 55% felt angry. In contrast, only 10% say they often or all the time felt hopeful about politics, and less than 4% felt excited. Yeah, good luck finding anybody who's actually truly, honestly excited about politics, Misty, unless, of course, they happen to be a politician. 
But then again, I do I, I do know some people. I've talked to people that just absolutely love to talk about it. They get that glean in their eyes. They're like politics, you talk politics, let's talk politics. But I just kind of drift to the other side of the room if I can. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, listen, I like talking about politics. Clearly, it's what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I very obviously have interest in it. However, I think it just, it really depends on your personal situation. For me, for example, my family is very apolitical. Uh, my immediate family, they're very apolitical. I mean, they kind of pay attention, but not really. They're very super, like their understanding is very superficial. Um, so that's a difficult conversation because uh, if you start getting into the weeds of things with them, their eyes start to glaze over. They look at you like you're crazy, that sort of a thing. And so uh, generally speaking, I don't talk a lot about politics. Unfortunately, because of my job, uh, they often ask um, or it will somehow be brought up uh, just based on, hey, who have you talked to recently on your show or whatever? And then it kind of spirals from there. But I've I've gotten really good over the years at sort of, at sort of managing those conversations um, in a way that keeps things uh, pretty light. I, I mean, I just think you have to be mindful of who your audience is. Now, if you have somebody in your family who shares your politics or whatever, I think that that's great. Have those conversations. Um, what I don't think is okay is to, you know, instigate or initiate fights with family members on a holiday um, because you have a difference of politics. Let it go. It's not worth um, alienating family members. We've seen a lot of that taking place over the last several years with COVID, um, you know, people disowning family members for not getting vaccinated. Uh, I, and I just think that's really unfortunate. Now, um, I think that there are some political issues where disengaging from people is a reasonable thing to do. Um, but I think with family, if you, if you have good family relationships, I think it's uh, much better to try to have those conversations in a very real and substantive way when it's not a freaking holiday. You know what I'm saying? Like you can have those conversations if you want to have those fights. That's fine. But maybe Thanksgiving dinner is not the place to be doing that. You know what I'm saying? Talk about sports or something instead. Uh, there's plenty of, listen, it's uh, rivalry re week and college football. Um, talk about that. I know I'll probably be talking a lot of college football at my Thanksgiving because uh, we're all big college football fans. Um, so, I mean, I just think managing your expectations, understanding your audience, and recognizing that maybe it's not worth it to, uh, you know, <laughs> devolve into a fist fight at Thanksgiving dinner over politics is, you know, maybe just not the best look. But what do you think, Adam? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, there there is something to be said about taking advantage of being in real life, in person with people, friends and family, the, the ones who are supposed to matter the most to you. So, you know, you brought up the COVID thing. That's the that was the ultimate best opportunity to say, hey, listen, wake up they're lying to you it's all a scam bill gates microchips whatever you wanted to say about that stuff at that time right um but we weren't allowed to because of the um well in that particular case they say oh no you're not allowed to talk to each other or hang out at all because of the pandemic so it was you know that was a that was a different situation so i could see how some people want to uh to to get some things off their chest maybe they've been yelling about it all all year long on social media but they got shadow banned or cousin jerry didn't click like on that one post so you want to make sure that he, <laughs> he heard the message uh so yeah again maybe not uh during a holiday but maybe maybe we should all be getting together more frequently and having yes. more dinners together than just during the thanksgiving holiday and there'll be plenty of opportunities to talk about politics or conspiracy theories whatever you'd like to uh discuss because yeah uh, yeah I definitely co-sign the having more dinners together. I think that that's necessary. And listen, again, yes, if you are able to have those conversations in a reasonable 
and measured way without getting into a blow up fight with Uncle Jerry. I think that's great. Do that. I uh, I just think, again, just understand who your audience is and uh, approach it with patience and recognize that not everybody is where you're at. And especially for me, I have to remember all the time that not everybody has the information that I have. Uh, I have been thoroughly entrenched in this world for a very long time. And my mother has not. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, my mom watches The Bachelor and she doesn't care much about politics and uh, she'll go vote, but she doesn't really understand who or what she's voting for. And so I have to be patient with her. Just be patient with those people who are maybe not as initiated as you are um, and weigh whether or not it's worth a blow up, you know, knockdown, drag out fight. Um, And if it is for you, great, go for it. Have at it. Um, I would like to hear about it. I would like to hear that tea for sure. (laughs) All right, Adam, thanks for bringing us the story. We will talk to you again tomorrow because as he said, we will be here. We will be working. um, So show is definitely continuing tomorrow. So uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. Hang tight. We're going to be back right after this on TNT Radio. For Voyage on TNT Radio. Shipping group AP Moller Myersk reported a steep drop in third quarter profit and revenue this past weekend and said it would cut at least 10,000 jobs in the face of overcapacity, rising costs, and weaker prices, sending its shares tumbling. So that's shipping. Uh, and, and they control one sixth of global container trade, transporting goods for a host of major retailers and consumer goods companies, including Walmart and Nike. That can't be good. Meanwhile, over in trucking, trucking employment is contracting the fastest on record this century. Hmm. So shipping, massively cutting jobs, trucking, fastest contraction on record this country. What is going on? Paul Krugman says everything's fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Remember that meme? Uh, Leslie Nielsen, I think, is a naked gun. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, in the background, everything is blowing up and burning. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, my friends, our guest today is journalist Che Bose. Uh, Che is the publisher of The Islander, co-host of the Moscow Mules podcast, and is currently a correspondent for RT based in Moscow. Uh, He was recently labeled as subversive. Those are my people uh, at a conference held by the Ukrainian government in his hometown of Dublin for his position on the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Uh, He also recently briefed the UN Security Council nominated by the Russian Federation on the proliferation of weapons in Ukraine due to the ongoing conflicts there. You can follow him on Twitter at Bozche, C-H-A-Y, by the way, and you can find the Islander at theislander.eu. Che, thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. 
Great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And obviously, um, I want to talk to you about Palestine. That's something you've been talking about uh, mm-hmm. yourself recently. But uh, if we can start, if you don't mind, uh, with Ukraine, because I feel like there's been some interesting developments there. Uh, the narrative is definitely shifting. I think that there is a lot of walking back going on. We saw recently on uh, uh, Morning Joe, um, where Joe Scarborough pretended that uh, he just always knew that Ukraine could never win. And we're starting to see a lot of mainstream media starting to uh, make those uh declarations as if it's always been something that uh, they've been uh, talking about. So what is your take on where the Ukrainian uh, conflict stands? Uh, I feel like that we are uh, currently seeing that take a very quick back burner to other issues going on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, the big issue for the Ukrainians prior to the outbreak of the the latest sort of uh, chapter of this long-running conflict in the Middle East, prior to that, the Ukrainian, this long-vaunted counteroffensive, which I've written an awful lot about, lots of articles, lots of uh, analysis and assessment of it. And what I've consistently said is that it was never going to achieve what they set out to achieve, that it was a it was it was all about a political uh, prerogative. This was never a, a militarily achievable goal by the Ukrainian forces with sort of second-rate equipment that was in two small numbers, a poorly trained army. The, the originally NATO-trained army that was built from 2014 up until the outbreak of this part of the conflict, uh, uh, you know, nearly two years ago, um, you know, was destroyed entirely. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers dead. That professional army, the core of it has been destroyed. So it's now basically a, a land army, a people's army, a Volkssturm army, these uh, territorial defense battalions. So they just don't have the uh, training, uh, even on these new newer tanks, and some of which are over 50 years old, they're given by the West, the M113 armor carriers. I talked with the UN first saw action really in uh, Vietnam, Korea, in some cases. So this is very cynical. It's the Western powers dumping a lot of equipment into Ukraine, an awfully uh, uh, corrupt country. As the U.S. State Department said in 2019, it it castigated Ukraine as basically a failed state, which is suddenly the bastion of freedom and liberty. And this whole idea that you would attack probably the biggest and best prepared ground defenses in Europe since the Second World War, maybe the First World War, this sort of Eakin line that stretches along basically the whole thousand kilometers of this front, that the Ukrainians would have any way to break through that uh, seems remarkable, you know? Yeah, 100%. And that's what's so frustrating for me because I feel like anybody, and listen, I am no um, uh, expert on Russia and Ukraine. I'm no expert on war tactics or strategy. But even I, some chick in Ohio uh, who runs her mouth and has a radio show, even I could see from the beginning that this was uh, a no hope situation for Ukraine. And it was very obviously uh, the the United Mm -hmm. States empire, the West, was very obviously using Ukrainian bodies as um, a battering ram against Russia in an attempt to weaken them economically and militarily. And to me, that is so I mean, unforgivable and disgusting. And it was so obvious. Uh, and it's very frustrating to me that they were so effective in selling this to people um, and pretending, as you said, it's about democracy. It's about liberty. It's about sovereignty. It was never about that. Um, and an entire generation of Ukrainian men has essentially been wiped out now at the altar of Western imperialism. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think as well, this is beginning to dawn on the Ukrainian people themselves. I mean, the background is important here. I mean, we're 10 years now, almost to the day since the Maidan protest began, which culminated in the 2014 sort of overthrow of the imperfect but democratically elected government of Viktor Yanukovych. And this is, we know now, the granular detail which the CIA and the American State Department uh, were involved in this. I mean, the Americans have been trying to destabilize Ukraine as a part of the Soviet Union since just after the war with several uh, covert operations assisting people like Bandera, neo-Nazis. The CIA didn't care who they got into bed with in Ukraine once they could try and inflict a strategic defeat on Russia, which they failed to do now. And of course, the economic consequences for Europe. Europe has now been decapitated from cheap Russian energy. So that is damaging the beating economic heart of, of Europe, Germany. Uh, Germany's heading into an existential crisis economically and potentially uh, societally as well. There's a lot of fractious uh, realities dawning on, on Germany now. Uh, but yet they keep sending aid to Ukraine while, you know, uh, you know, they're, they, they have no plan for how they're going to face this deindustrialization. And there's only one beneficiary of that, and that's the United States, of course. And if you look back at the, the Marshall Plan and the whole post-war period in, Amer in, in Europe, and the American idea was to keep the Russians out, keep the Germans down, and keep the Americans in. And all of that has come to fruition now. And the Ukrainian sort of operation... Uh, as I say, it started post-war with operations like Operation Paperclip, Red Sox, aerodynamic funding neo-Nazis, people like Bandera, people who were involved, Stepan Bandera, a neo-Nazi uh, ultra-nationalist Ukrainian who uh, whose statues are everywhere in Ukraine. There's regular parades and he's on postage stamps there. This man was involved and helped, you know, with the murder of nearly 200,000 Poles and Jews in places like Voilin and Babi Yar. And I've written all about this. And this is meant to be a country that we're meant to idolize. You've seen the forced conscription. You've seen terrible violence against women. We've seen, you know, gross corruption. Uh, I mean, the last uh, Minister of Defence sacked, uh, innumerable, uh, you know, uh, politicians and senior officials sacked because Ukraine is inexorably corrupt. It's a, it's a terrifically corrupt country. And when you pour, you know, billions of dollars and in some cases, you know, we know how the CIA operates in these uh, operations. They dump a lot of cash in. They own a lot of people and they're intimately related now with the SBU of a feared sort of successor to the, the Soviet KGB in Ukraine, this SBU who've been, you know, assassinating journalists, you know, terrorizing people, abducting people. And this, the U.S. State Department said this about Ukraine remarkably in 2019 in their human rights report about Ukraine. They said that extrajudicial killings, abductions, murder, uh, rape, violence against women, minorities, everything that they, the U.S. is telling us they're fighting to protect in Ukraine. They said Ukraine was a gross offender at uh, just a year before, basically, uh, the Russians intervened, uh, in my view, preemptively uh, to, uh, number one, secure their the ethnic Russian population, but also to prevent potential assault on, on Crimea. And there's a lot of there's a lot of geostrategic realities about what happened in uh, in February 2022 when uh, Russia intervened, uh, and then of course you had the deal that was done, the peace deal that was done, brokered by Naftali Bennett, the uh, Israeli Prime Minister, and he speaks openly about this, and Recep uh, Tayyip uh, Erdogan, the uh, Turkish leader. There was a deal done. The Russian troops pulled away from. 
Uh, as part of that deal, the Russian troops pulled away from Kiev. They pulled away from significant population centers. Now, the Ukrainians like portrayed this as some sort of victory that they were beaten away. They weren't. There was a deal done to settle this conflict in April, uh, basically a year ago. And it was Boris Johnson uh, and the United States who told Zelensky to, to back away from that deal. And we know that now. Yep. So we yep. see that the Russians have absolutely no... It, there's no like the, the West has shot its bolt against Russia. I mean, I've been living here for nearly a year now, and it's a very strong country culturally, economically. There's absolutely zero impact here, other than you can't just jump on a plane and fly to anywhere you like anymore. <laughs> it's more <laughs> difficult. So you got to go to Abu Dhabi or Turkey or wherever. But that's really the only difference. And people just get on with their lives. Inflation is low. There's full employment here. There's yeah. absolutely Zero, nothing that I can't get here within 20 minutes on my phone, uh, on the shopping apps or anything that I can't get in Europe. And I can get it cheaper. And, yeah. you know, I, I paid my energy bill the other day here from my apartment. And for a month's gas, light, heat and water, it was like 12, the equivalent to 12 US dollars. So oh my God. <laughs> people here are not, are not losing this war. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is, there is sort of, uh, of course, divergence of opinion. People here would like to see peace. People here didn't sure. want the war in the first place, which is sure. another fantasy of the West that this is Putin's war. Putin has huge approval ratings here, and it's not something you're going to read about or hear about in the Western media. It doesn't of matter what not. people in the West think about Putin; it's, it's utterly irrelevant what they think about him. But he's probably well, he's the been made a boogeyman. He's been made a boogeyman, really. That's all. They, they just needed him as a lightning rod for, uh, in order to manufacture consent for this kind of a thing. And it, really, that started with. I mean, it's been happening since the Cold War. But I think that Russia Gate, I think, was initially the 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 most modern kickoff of that, where they were trying to create this kind of, uh, you know, comic book villain out of him. So we have to take a quick break and get some headlines. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT Radio. Rolling. TNT Radio News. This is news. Here we go. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. A car exploded in an attempted terror attack on Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls today, causing a massive explosion at a toll checkpoint that killed the vehicle's two occupants. The United States has urged North Korea to engage in serious negotiations after the North Korean regime launched a spy satellite into orbit yesterday. The International Cricket Council Board has banned biologically male players who identify as female from international women's cricket. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. All right. We are here joined by journalist Che Bose. Please check him out on Twitter at Bose Che. It's C-H-A-Y. I'm sure that's already on the screen. Also check out The Islander at theislander.eu. Uh, we just spoke a little bit about uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which Che has been covering uh, extensively for some time now. Um, uh, but I also I wanted to shift gears and talk about Palestine. Obviously, that is the story of the day. Um, it's horrific watching it play out. I mentioned it a little bit at the top of the show that they have essentially had to stop counting bodies because there's just no way for them to even do it. People are buried under 
rubble. Um, it's very frustrating to me to watch it play out, but I think that there are some bright spots and I wanted to get your take on this. I've been asking a little bit of everybody. This time feels different, Che. I feel like previous to this, um, every time, and this is a conflict that kicks up every so often, every five years, 10 years, whatever it is, there's a new uh, round of violence that uh, takes place. But this time feels very different to me. I feel like Israel is definitely losing the PR war on this. I think that they have failed to manage the narrative as they have been so effective at doing in the past. Um, but what do you think? I feel like for sure, regardless of what's happening now, which is horrific, I feel like um, this is different and it feels as if there's no way we're ever going back to what 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 there was previously in Gaza. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a real uh, pivot point for the whole region. And I think it's a globally important uh, conflict. And there's two things I think that are really important that, that people at home listening, in my view, need to understand about this, this conflict. It does two things, in my view. It shines a light on the utter hypocrisy and gross partisan nature of the political elites in the United States, even people who've, you know, were traditionally anti-war now have lined up behind the Zionist lobby in Israel because nobody in the United States can have a career in politics if they're anti-Israel. It's just quite simple. So I think that's shining a light on the way there's been such reticence and such reluctance in among the political elites in Europe. And of course, the European Union is now essentially a vassal in my view uh, politically of the United States. I, I don't see much sovereignty left. Se a couple of countries left in Europe are actually sovereign states. The rest now are really beholden to this EU. They're little, they're little uh, yellow uh, star on a blue flag. I don't know what that means, but that's what most countries in Europe have become. And they are then uh, by default, uh, you know, uh, following the US line on global foreign policy. And the United States, remember, has given the Israeli state nearly you know, $250 billion in aid since the inception of the Israeli state. And that most of that has gone into the uh, Israeli military. So the U.S. understands that the, the, the Israeli state is basically a stationary aircraft carrier uh, in the Middle East for uh, the United States because the Zionist lobby, which... The, the, the courting of that Zionist lobby by Lloyd George, the Prime Minister of Britain in 1917, who wanted to get the Americans to join the First World War, which they didn't want to do, uh, he brought, you know, he offered the foundation in British Palestine of an Israeli state in order to court and basically bribe the Zionist elites in America to put influence on the government to join the, the first world war this is something that people often miss but this is a reality we i can you can read these state papers that will show you that so the british american project in palestine uh, and the creation of a state which is a religious state imagine you know you, we talk about fundamental islam this is a fundamentalist state the whole idea of zionism doesn't have room for two peoples particularly one per people, notably the Palestinians who are Muslim, whose land on which the Israeli state has been created and, and incrementally, uh, incrementally shrunken. So there's a huge amount of injustice here. And it's, as you say, this is different because it seems to me, I mean, the, the foundation of the Israeli state was defined by an event the Palestinians would call the Nakba or the catastrophe, which was when the Israeli state was founded. Over 700,000 uh, Palestinians were pushed from their own land, which they lived on for generations. Uh, you know, uh, hundreds of villages were destroyed. Thousands of people were murdered by Zionist uh, fanatics, basically, who wanted to create this state of Israel. 
And post that, there's been decades of injustice where the Palestinian people uh, have been, you know, contained in this basically basically an open-air prison, which Gaza has become, certainly, and the West Bank as a client sort of regime uh, of Israel, many Palestinians would believe. So this is totally unsurprising that it's come to this. There's, and there's one other really key issue, which I've been talking about on Twitter, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm writing something about, is how this actually happened. How does, how does a huge Hamas force number one, accrue and develop all of these weapons. It's probably one of the most infiltrated and surveilled organizations on Earth. How does the best intelligence service on Earth, uh, as we're told, accordingly, very intimately related to all the other Western intelligence agencies, the CIA, MI6, uh, and the French and German intelligence services, how does Mossad fall asleep for basically seven hours while uh, Hamas tunnels, flies, drives, and walks through the most surveilled border and fence uh, anywhere in the world, then managed to kill so many Israelis and then take several hundred of them back the same way, totally unassailed. Right? How does that happen? So I, right. I, I don't know why the Western media isn't talking about that. I don't know whether or not. But, and then you may ask yourself, you know, then you look at, you look at people like... Uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is a career Zionist, of course, a very intelligent guy, by the way. You shouldn't discount uh, Netanyahu. He's a very intelligent man. He's quite well read. He's a very experienced politician. And he has, you know, his this is a career goal of his to sort of solve the Palestinian problem. I mean, it reminds yeah. me of the Irish problem. The British used to call Ireland the Irish problem, the Irish question. So the Irish are kind of intimately uh, connected to the struggle of the Palestinians in many ways, because we saw the same type of attempts to call us terrorists and of course injustice if you build a zoo okay next door to your house okay and you keep two million people in that zoo you deny them their rights you starve them you beat them you poke them when these the tigers uh, the young cubs of the tigers that come out through the hole in the fence uh, what do you expect those tigers to do i mean this yes. is the, the horrendous reality of what has been created in Gaza, you you know you create radical Islam, you create radical organizations like Hamas, which have a right to defend themselves in their view, as Israel has a right to defend itself too. So you created this. Who created the whole the the whole specter of radical Islam? And if you go back again to the destabilization and the uh, basic, basic destruction of the Iranian state in 1954, where we had Mohammad Mossadegh, who was a very interesting, uh, innovative guy. He wanted to nationalize the oil business in Iran. And it was BP and the CIA, British Petroleum and the CIA, who decided to destroy this man, destroy his uh, democracy, basically, in Iran. When that is destroyed, they replaced him with uh, the Shah of Iran, who turned out to be a maniacal, murderous lunatic. He's overthrown by uh, the uh, Islamic uh, fundamentalists, essentially, in Iran. And you create this fundamentalism through your idiotic uh, foreign policy meddling. So this is a part of a domino. But what's different, I should say, about this, in my view, is is that it's impo- it's just totally destroyed any moral credibility of the West, of the ICC, of the criminal courts, of yes. the idea of genocide. I mean, how can you suggest that Russia is committing genocide? I mean, 
every day I get off the train at a, at a, at a metro station here in Moscow called Kievskaya. You know, uh, I have so many Ukrainian friends here. Uh, most Russians have some uh, link to Ukraine. The, where where Ukraine ends and where Russia begins here is totally, uh, it's really hard to define, you know, culturally. So it, they're so closely linked, these two peoples and these two cultures, religiously, historically. And the idea that Russia has ever or was ever committing a genocide against the Ukrainians is absolutely ludicrous. It's actually laughable when you actually come and live among these people that they could even suggest that. But then when you see the killing of over five and a half thousand children, basically in a month, in this brutal, you know, retribution, it's almost a biblical uh, uh, operation of retribution against the civilian population. And that's not genocide. I mean, it totally just uh, emasculates. The contradictions the are immense. Yes, the contradictions are immense and the hypocrisy is immense. And I'm so glad that you brought up the ICC and the uh, the UN also. They are completely ineffective. It's almost laughable that they even exist at this point. We have to take another quick break. Mm-hmm. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It was reported over the weekend that Special Counsel Robert Hur, no relation to Ben, who's been tasked with investigating Joe Biden's criminal misappropriation, mishandling, and maladministration of classified documents to which he never had any legal basis for possessing, will not be bringing criminal charges against the president. Meanwhile, Special Persecutor Jack Smith who has criminally charged Donald Trump for possessing documents he was legally entitled to, is proceeding full speed ahead. Joe Biden having classified documents in his garage? Not a problem. Donald Trump having classified documents held under lock and key at Mar-a-Lago, which is protected by Secret Service? That's a criminal violation, pal. You're going to pay for that. It's the hypocrisy. It's the double standard. It's the complete injustice of our Department of Justice that is so galling and it has people so angry. I think the worm eventually is going to turn, however, and all of those malefactors that are now interfering with yet another election are going to have their day in court on the wrong end of the V when the Department of Justice once again meets out justice. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. a cyber tip today. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're back joined by journalist Che Bose. We're talking about Israel-Palestine. I wanted to ask you, too, uh, we recently had the announcement of the so-called ceasefire, supposed to be for four days. There's going to be an exchange of uh, hostages, as they uh, are calling them. And I think that something else that this really kind of revealed, that a lot of people who were clutching their pearls over these hostages uh, that Hamas took, um, is that Israel has long had Palestinian hostages. And in, in fact, they, uh, uh, you know, there's been all this talk about the uh, Israeli children that were uh, kidnapped apparently by Hamas, um, uh, that Israel has been kidnapping children by the hundreds uh, every single year 
for a very long time. And um, but I wanted to get your take on the ceasefire. Um, do you think that that's a positive development? We've already seen some Israeli officials saying that they have no intention of stopping their uh, brutalization of the people of Palestine. This four day ceasefire does not mean the end of what's going on. What's your take on that? Well, the first thing is, you know, whatever Hamas did and, you know, they killed civilians. And this is I I condemn that. I condemn that anywhere. I find it anywhere. I see it. It's got to be condemned. The killing of civilians, where whoever they are, Israeli, Palestinian, Arab, Christian, Jew, Muslim. It's just wrong. But the idea that escalating that murderous behavior against the Palestinians by a, by a factor of maybe 500 or something is just insane. It's an insanity yeah. and it's just not going to bring peace. Every family that's bereaved in Palestine, just like every family that was bereaved in the north of my country by the British army or their proxies, you know, all it became was a, a recruiting sergeant for the IRA in my, in our case in, in, uh, in, in Ireland. And in the case of Palestine, this is just going to fuel anti-Israeli uh, fervor. And it's already doing that, as you say, in the in the information space, which Israel has lost horrendously through their own fault, to insane propaganda, which is so egregiously stupid and false. Yeah. They've really yeah. shot themselves in the foot. But regarding the, the ceasefire. Uh, I mean, I think I think Hamas, uh, you know, should return the hostages. If it has hostages, it should send them home. And I think it, you know, you you've got the the high ground. I don't think I think you you're you're your own worst enemy if you if you commit these sort of uh, actions against the civilian population. And as you say, of course, so many thousands of people kept in detention without trial in Israel for decades in some cases. So this again highlights the absolute, uh, you know, um, shining. A glaring, you know, hypocrisy of uh, the Israeli state and its, and its main backer, the United States, who have seemed to have a big problem when there's uh, human rights abuses allegedly committed by China against Uyghurs, allegedly committed by the Russians against their uh, Ukrainian neighbors. You know, all of this uh, alleged become absolutes in the Western media. But when Israel does it, nothing's nothing of the sort. You become a Hamas supporter. You're a terrorist. So, yeah. I think I think two things. I think. Firstly, regarding the hostages, I think Israel would have survived October 7th and in some ways could have uh, shown the world that it, it was a developed democracy, which had some uh, restraint. It would have survived October 7th, but I don't know if Israel as a state in its current form can survive what it's doing right now, because on the world stage, it's been shown. And as it has absolutely zero respect for international law, it does as it wants, uh, to who it wants, as it pleases, when it wants. And that's just not how a developed state is meant to behave. And to suggest that killing thousands of children, wiping out whole communities, babies, children, mothers, pregnant women, to suggest that that in some way is self-defense is just so offensive to our intelligence uh, as, as as watchers of the world, if you like. Most Americans find this repulsive. Jewish Americans, Black Americans, Catholic, Protestant, you know, people of no faith. Nobody can look at this and think that it's acceptable or buy into this idiotic narrative. But again, what Hamas did, and I've got to say this again, I believe what Hamas did they, by all means, have a right, in my view, to attack uh, military targets, uh, strategic targets, but you shouldn't attack uh, a civilian population. So yeah. I, I condemn that. But I think what's going to happen now is uh, obviously the Israelis also want a, an operational pause because, believe me, I don't believe they really are concerned about the the uh, the. Uh, 
hostages that Hamas no. are holding. If they were concerned about them, they I believe they've killed probably 60 of their own people with, with this basic carpet bombing of whole communities. Well, you know, so they've killed a lot of their own people. They killed some of their own people at the music festival when Apache gunships opened fire on their own people as well. So, you know, the number of people killed in Israel went from 1,400 to 1,300 to 1,200. Uh, so I think we, we need to scrutinize the numbers very, very closely when it comes to what Israel tells us. I don't think we should believe anything they tell us. Undoubtedly, civilians were killed, and undoubtedly that has to be condemned. But again, we have to understand, how, same in Ukraine, we have to understand how we got here if we want to get out of here. So suggesting that the world began on October 7th uh, in, in Israel, it's just ludicrous. This began, uh, you know, a century ago with the dispossession of a, an entire people to the advantage of a very wealthy, very influential uh, Western people. I mean, you see uh, dudes with uh, Boston accents, uh, Yonkers accents, uh, British accents, Scottish accents, wearing these Israeli uniforms telling us about their punitive operation against the Hamas people. And you're going, this is all sounds a bit strange to me. I mean, you know, so, I mean, this idea that an ancient book tells me that I own this olive grove and I'm going to bulldoze your home and put you out of it. I just can't buy that. I don't think anybody, uh, any sort of humanitarian or person who wants sort of a just peace can buy into that. Just because your old book tells you this, you where you belong, it doesn't make it so. And if you want to create a state of Israel, and I do again, and I'm not. This isn't such a popular view. I do believe that because there's a significant Israeli population, and there's a lot of good Israelis, there's a lot of great Jewish people who are against this war. I do think the state of Israel should exist, but it should exist. It can't exist at the expense. Like they can't build their heaven by creating a hell for the Palestinians. So. If they want to have their state and they want to be respected and they want to live in peace, they have to lead by example and have to develop structures that respect uh, the people who they dispossess from this land. This is a fact. These are, you know, trying to conflate, uh, you know, anti-Zionism, which is rejection of this expansionist Jewish state and anti-Semitism is the main tool right now in the media. It's been used against uh, Elon Musk. It's used against me. It's used against anybody who stands up against Zionism and the killing of children wholesale, this industrial killing of children. If you stand up against that, you're liable to be called an anti-Semite. If you stood up against the neo-Nazis and the murdering groups at, uh, in, in Ukraine, like IDAR, Tornado, criminal gangs who were sent to the east of Ukraine to murder people, to torture them, to rape them. If you stand up against that and say, look, the people of eastern Ukraine don't want to be part of this CIA-backed coup. They want to maintain their, their religion, their culture, their language. They don't want to be Russian. They want to be Ukrainians, but they want to be able to maintain their links to Russia. That's all the people in eastern Ukraine wanted. It's all the people in Crimea wanted. But if you say that and you write about that and you point that out, you're immediately a, a stooge of Vladimir Putin. Just like yeah. now, you're immediately an anti-Semite if you stand against Israel and say, look, enough is enough. So you've got to be aware. I think the people listening, I think people are getting better at this because of platforms like yours, because of things like Twitter, which now, thankfully, is a more liberalized uh, platform. We can say more. We can uh, challenge more, thanks to Elon Musk. I think it could be better, but I think it's a, a totally different platform than it was. But I think people have to understand that and be willing to be called those things, but be willing to challenge that narrative, as I have just done by saying, look, you know, being anti-Zionist, which is the aggressive expansion of the Israeli state at the expense of the indigenous people, is not being anti-Jewish. There's some fantastic Jewish people, some friends of mine, people like Max Blumenthal, Aaron Mate, 
these are great people uh you know some of the greatest uh anti-war uh, voices are jewish and we should never forget that this isn't about judaism this is about zionism and it's about money power and the exertion of geopolitical power by the united states to a proxy in the middle east which is israel and regarding the 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 uh the um uh, hostages right which is your original point and this pause i don't think the israelis would be agreeing to this pause unless they needed the pause too i've I've been told that over 320 israeli soldiers have been killed i have no absolute uh information about that but i believe that to be true they've lost a lot of vehicles uh they're suffering a lot of losses and the israeli public are going to have to process that too i don't think they've been told the truth about what's happening i don't think it's possible to defeat a guerrilla army when you create a Stalingrad for them to hide in. We saw it in anyone who studied military strategy, as I did and have done. Uh, you see that when you bomb Monte, Monte Cassino in Italy, uh, the German paratroopers could hold out there for, for months, basically. When they destroyed Stalingrad, uh, it was impossible to dislodge the Russians from Stalingrad. Gaza is a absolute heaven if you are a defending infantryman with an RPG against the tank. And what they've created now uh, is a, a killing field, a war zone for their own men. And remember, the Israeli military is made up almost uh, entirely now of, of reservists who are you know they call up 300,000 reservists and the diversion of this aid towards Israel as well suggests that there's you know this this Israeli army isn't as tough as it seems you know you see these uh, young kids running up to tanks and placing mines on them it's remarkable stuff but I think I think I think the Israelis there was no way the Israelis were going to stop this operation because remember, Hamas, of course, will use these this time to replenish their supplies. There's thousands of tunnels going into uh, into Gaza and into Palestine from Israel and from the adjoining countries. Thousands of tunnels, and there's no way the Israelis can shut them down. The and Hamas only need to be lucky once. Uh, Israel needs to be lucky a thousand times. It's exceptionally yeah. difficult to do it. The Israeli economy is under huge pressure. You know, the shekel is dropping in value, uh, divestment. Over 300,000 people have left Israel. There's only 8 million people in that country. 300,000 people have left that country since October the 7th. So I remember when when people started to leave Russia, a small amount, a relatively small amount of people, it was, oh, people are abandoning Russia because of the war, you know. But this doesn't, nobody wants to talk about these numbers in the in the Western media, right. it seems to me. It's really remarkable. Just like they don't want to talk about how these guys on motorbikes and in paragliders managed to inflict the biggest combat defeat on yes. the Israeli army since 1967 with yeah. uh, RPGs and AK-47s. How did that happen? How, yes, how and thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that you're going to write a piece on that because that has been bothering me since the day that it happened. This is the uh, most technologically advanced military in the Middle East, no question about it. And this is the surveillance state. I mean, that Israel sells their surveillance um, uh, software to countries around the globe. They and obviously they are heavily monitoring Hamas, and so the idea that Hamas was somehow able to pull one over on them and able to sneak into Israel and then uh, be able to we just were told that they had they'd accumulated five thousand rockets okay homemade rockets how does a really heavily infiltrated <laughs> right? group 
in in a tiny area, okay, and there, there, like there's a lot Concerned. of uh, Mossad infiltration into uh, into into uh, Hamas. You can read about this stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. How do they accumulate five thousand rockets uh, right. uh, without the Israelis noticing this? There's surveillance. They have satellites. I mean, you've got uh, American Reaper drones flying over Gaza at the moment, uh, and right. they're telling us, oh, they're trying to find out where the where the charity workers are. Oh yeah, sure, that's that's beautiful. They're pissing in your soup and telling you they're cooling it down for you. Okay, so the yes, reality yes, is yes. Know, the American surveillance machine and intelligence machine is intimately involved in the infiltration of Hamas as one of the 100%. most powerful uh, Islamic groups. Forget about Hezbollah. I mean, so to tell me, don't tell me that, you know, this wasn't seen or, or there was no indication. We did get reports here uh, in Moscow that uh, the, the Egyptians had yep. warned Israel about this and it was utterly ignored. So, look, I mean... It isn't a conspiracy because I want to know how a fence that if a bird lands on it, 11 sensors go off in 11 different places. That's what we're told. If a bird lands on it, an Israeli border officer, she said this. Very so clearly they happen, had right? I just want to know how it happened. And, yeah. and, yes. if there and I think that's a, a totally plausible answer. And if there is, fine. Yeah. But I, I, no one's given it to me. And, and totally reasonable question. Yeah, but more importantly, nobody's asking the question. And I'm glad that you are. And, and I'm really looking forward to your piece. I'm really looking forward to that because I've been uh, pondering it myself. And obviously, I don't have the uh, wherewithal to uh, investigate something like that. So I'm very glad that you're doing it. Thank you. Um, I look forward to reading that. And thank you for coming on the show today, taking the time. I would love to have you back anytime that you're available. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with another show for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and do not go anywhere. Timothy Shea is right after this right here on TNT Radio.